Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 110 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we looked into the two major legal technology surveys for the year. For this episode, we couldn't help but notice that there have been a lot of major technology product announcements in the last few weeks, culminating, of course, in the introduction of two new iPhones. And there are more announcements in the work over the next month or so. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we are going to uh, report on some big new technology announcements. In our second segment, we'll talk about the 15th anniversary of Case Map. <laughs> Can't believe it's been 15 years. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second this podcast is over. But let's get started on our main topic. It's the season for technology announcements. Uh, usually around this time of year, every fall, the major manufacturers begin to make announcements about the new gadgets and tools they plan to roll out, and the, the geeks uh, spend lots of time speculating on what new toys will be announced and, and what features they're going to have and, and hope to get them right. And, and there's a wish list that people have of what they want to see, and invariably they are disappointed. Although there are still probably many more announcements to be made, uh, we thought we'd report on some of the biggest so far and whether any of them might be right for lawyers. Uh, Dennis, uh, have, you, uh, have you ordered your new iPhone yet, or did one of the other announcements uh, pique your interest? You know, I'd, um, I am ordering the, the new iPhone 5S, uh, which is not, as we record, it's not actually available for pre-order yet. But that's that definitely made it to my list. But I think there are a lot of a uh, lot of interesting things out there. And as as you were saying, Tom, there just seems like a lot of announcements lately. And I, I don't know whether it's. I mean, part of this is you know gearing up for the holiday season, um, clearly. But it just seems like in the fall there's a lot going on and uh, a lot of things that that really have gotten people interested. And it's not just the iPhones and and maybe in a month or so iPads and, and maybe Apple TV, but hearing a lot about this this Motorola Moto X phone, other Android phones, the uh, Nokia 41 megapixel phone uh, camera, which I call a camera phone almost more than, than a smartphone, although it is both. There's the Samsung uh, Galaxy Gear s- smartwatch. Microsoft has some announcements coming up with new Surface tablets. There's there's a lot going on out there. So, uh, but I think the big one in the fall is always the Apple announcement gets the most attention, and I think it it did this year's as as well because uh, Apple's has new iPhones, and uh, that took all the oxygen out of the the, the tech journalism coverage um, earlier this week. Um, Tommy, what's your reaction to what's out there, and, and maybe you want to start us off on the uh, talking about some iPhones. Sure. I, I guess my reaction is I, I think that there are a lot of announcements out there, but for me, I've just been feeling one big yawn. Like, okay, this is all interesting. I'm sure lots of people like it. So far, I haven't seen anything that's really gotten me that interested. And I will say that for the first time, 
that also applies to the to the iPhones that that came out. Uh, and so let's I guess start talking about the, the specific announcements. Um, instead of announcing one iPhone like they usually do, this time they announced two. Uh, everybody expected them to announce two. One of them is called the 5C, which people have joked as meaning five cheap. Uh, it's the, their lower cost iPhone. Um, what I think it, it, it really stands for is 5Kid, because there was initial speculation that it was being offered at a lower price to, uh, to make iPhone of, uh, more appealing to the rest of the world. But I don't think they've hit a price point low enough to do that. Where I think they've really hit it is with kids. Uh, who, who may want to have a phone that doesn't cost as much as a regular iPhone. Uh, the 5C is basically an old iPhone. I think it's, less, it's just less expensive. Um, there are multiple colors. You can mix and match them uh, with six different cases which, with have this interesting grid of dots on the back. I think that that is a, a big design flaw for the case because you can actually see part of the iPhone letters show through the case. And I'm sure that if Steve Jobs were alive today, he would not like to see that design element on the thing. I think the cases are, are very interesting from a color standpoint, but I just don't think they, they hit that right. I, I, I think it's uh, basically an iPhone. It's an iPhone that's a little bit cheaper uh, and, it's, and it's designed for, I think, the younger generation. The 5S, which you apparently are, are going to order, uh, you know, having recently moved to the Android from the iPhone, I was really nervous about this release uh, and that, it might, that, that I might have been too hasty in moving to the Android phone. But after seeing the features, um, I really don't feel like I have that much to be worried about. I think there are some cool features, but I would, if we always talk about the evolutionary versus revolutionary, I would say that this is more on the revolutionary, evolutionary side or else it would have been an iPhone 6. Some of the interesting changes that I saw were 64-bit architecture, uh, which means it's going to be quite a bit faster than the older versions. Um, the camera has been improved. I think the most interesting thing about the, ca- the, the camera is the fingerprint identity sensor. You can now unlock your phone with your fingerprint. And I, I think if that weren't good enough, you'll also be able to buy things from Apple, apps or music or books or whatever you want to buy, just using your fingerprint. And I will tell you, that's the most annoying thing about getting apps on my iPad, which is having to enter my password every time I want to do that. I, I expect that other app developers are probably going to take advantage of this technology, and you'll see the fingerprint sensor being used in other apps down the road. Um, I, I think it's a huge security improvement uh, in terms of the management of a device, although I think that I've, I've heard at least one security expert, uh, Steve Gibson, say that uh, that he thinks that that can probably be spoofed, so it's not foolproof, but I still think it's the right way to, to go moving away from, from passwords. I, I will say that for me, aside from the fingerprint monitor, fingerprint identity scanner, uh, I, I wasn't that excited about it. It didn't have anything that, uh, that really said you need to come back to the iPhone from Android. Dennis, what are you thinking about it? Obviously, you want to get it, so it's, it's, it's got enough in there for, to interest you. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see whether I can change your opinion on this. But um, I, I think what's... Uh, so Apple's gone, to me, as you said, it's sort of two new phones. It's a three-phone three, three phone model line. So they're going to keep the I, iPhone 4S, which is sort of the low end. The the 5C, which some people refer to as the plastic uh, phone because it's, it's, not a, it's not a metal phone. And that's, and that's in some ways why it's uh, uh, going to be at a cheaper price and, and the 5s um you know which 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 is really appealing to me and time where i find where i'm uh 
trying to make my decision at, and this, this sort of surprised me a little bit, is, is not choosing among colors because there are more color choices. And um, I'm kind of interested in this thing called space gray just because of the, the, the name of it. But I, surprising to me, I'm really thinking hard about the 64 gig as opposed to the 32 because I'm quite comfortable with 32 on my, my current iPhone. And, and I'll, I'll talk about why, why I'm, I'm, th- I'm thinking that way. I see this as a as I just saw it as a platform. And you could do the sixty four uh in the sixty four bit software that are you know uh, approach to software will be running. There's uh, new mobility sensors, there's improvements in in other areas and uh, but the main thing is it's gonna this new chip is gonna make it fast. The fingerprint sensor, you know, is interesting. As you as you said, Tom, it's has great uh potential, I believe, for payments and and other things, and I just see this as as becoming a platform. And the 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 sixty four bit uh, is is what regular computers run. So all of a sudden, you're saying like, "Wow, this is this computer." Uh, you know, the phone is a computer at the, at the same time. And and so as the platform device, it becomes really interesting. And it's not so much what I see on the phone right now. It's kind of the apps. And what's coming in the future, and, and these, you know, these to use these different things, you know, and and how uh, how it serves as a basis for that, and how it could be. We talked in the past about this sort of personal area network, and so this notion that I have this very powerful computer, and then I could run things like the smartwatch uh, connected to this. So the processing happens on the phone itself, and I can have a watch. I can have something like the Google. Google Glass, I can have others, uh, almost peripherals, uh, peripherals that are wearable. And so I look at it as, as this platform and this uh, almost like a little server that, that I will have for other things that will happen over the next you know, year, year or two. And, and so that's why it became really interesting to me. And then with some of the things it's able to do in video, slow motion, that sort of thing, that's why I'm, I'm thinking that maybe I need more space on this and to go with the 64 gig as opposed to 32 because of the, the, the potential capability that that, that 5S has. And, and so that's, that's where I come down on is I, I just sort of looked at it and said, you know, this is in a way we're, we're at this maturity in the market. Um, people are talking about features, comparing features and saying, oh, the, the iPhone 5 you know, 5S has some of the same things that, you know, Android phones have had or other phones have had for a while. But it's that possibilities of platform that really got me interested. So I'm not really sure I'm even convinced it is evolutionary. It could be revolutionary, but on a delayed basis. So I don't know what your reaction to that, Tom, is. You haven't laughed while I've said this, so. Well, I almost laughed when you said revolutionary on a delayed basis, because to me that just sounds like saying evolutionary in a different way, because, because the revolution doesn't come until the, until the support comes for it. If it is a platform, I, I, guess, I guess the way that I come down listening to the, 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 the features that you describe is, is that the potential for the future, I think, is the most interesting thing you said. Uh, if the fact that it's much faster, that it's fast like a computer that, that I've got on my desktop, if my phone is fast enough for me, then this isn't something that's going to make me move. If my camera is good enough for me, then I don't know that the improvements to the camera are going to make me move. 
I, you know, a year from now, when main, when developers and, and others are actually doing things to take advantage of this platform, of this advanced tool, maybe I'll be interested then, but it's not enough to drag me away from, from my phone, my other phone right now. I just, there's, I, I want to see, I'm, I'm not willing to, 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 to do something now just to see about the possibilities of what's going to happen. And as for, it's interesting that you should say that about the size. I've actually gone down in my size. I used to have a 64 gig because I kept all of my music on my phone. And now that I use streaming music, I keep very little actual music on my phone. And I've been able to use the 32 gig with no problem. So it's interesting that nowadays a 64 gig doesn't particularly interest me all that much. But uh, I don't know. I'll I'll be interested to see. And hopefully you can... uh, you can order it in time so that we can, uh, I can take a look at it the next time that we meet each other in person. Yeah, and I, I think there is that sort of, um, and I think in the, the presentation they, they talked about, uh, Tim Cook talked about this being their most forward-looking uh, iPhone. And, and so I think, I think there is that component. The other thing I also wanted to say, Tom, is that we also illustrate where people are, the two different places people can be at. So I am overdue for the regular upgrade uh, with <laughs> my true. with my carrier. So this is like totally easy decision. I'm, I've been hanging on, you know, until this comes out. So it's totally easy decision. Yep. Now, whether I, if I had just bought a new phone or I bought a phone a year ago, is there enough there that I would say, oh, I want to get rid of, you know, an iPhone 5 and move to a 5S and, you know, pay extra charges for that. Well, uh, people who know me well enough know that there's not much chance that I would do that. I would just wait another year and, and see what see what was going to happen. So, so I think there is, uh, so you look at those things and you say, well, you know, where are you at? Where are you at in your plan? And then in our case, uh, you know, both my wife and I are ready to upgrade. So for me, 5S, easy decision. And we were talking earlier today about whether, she would go that same route or whether she would look at the, the 5C as, as, as being lighter, you know, different colors, doesn't have the same need for, doesn't use apps and, and stuff in the same way I do. So that could be a little bit more interesting for her. So, you know, so you see those different things. And I think you're right that, um, that where that 5C really makes sense is, is for kids. Um, and, then, and then, of course, the opposite of that, which is for you know, uh, parents, grandparents, uh, you know, people are older, but people are sort of either going to their first smartphone or, you know, ready to upgrade to, to a, a different smartphone. And I also wanted to mention, Tom, that we're also like a week or away from, from the new IO, iOS 7, which is the, uh, the operating system on the iPhone. And that's going to be a completely different approach with a, what they call a flatter interface and a different, a really sort of less, um, realistic with the three-dimensional thing and more of a mobile approach. So it'll be interesting to see the reactions to that that as well. But it's not all Apple, right, Tom? There's, I mean, there's been a whole bunch of other announcements as well. A lot of other announcements. I, I will say that um, that you're right about iOS seven. I, I'm I am looking forward to downloading that onto my iPad. I want to see what it's like. But I I think that's why it was it was when I saw what what iOS 7 was going to offer it just wasn't quite enough to keep me because I really think that Android offers a lot more in terms of the operating system and and so there's been a lot of activity on the Android side this fall as well. One of the one of the announcements that came out recently was uh from Motorola. Motorola as you may know was purchased by Google um a while back and this is really one of the first 
uh, I guess, fruits of their joint efforts. And uh, the Moto X was was unveiled um, a couple of weeks ago uh, to a lot of fanfare. And uh, it's gotten, you know, with Android phones, it's tough to... uh, it's tough to get excited because there are so many Android phones and they get introduced all the time. And, uh, and so sometimes it's hard to get excited. But here's why I think the Moto X deserves a little bit of attention. One, it is it being assembled. It may not exactly be made in America, but it's being assembled in America, which is unusual. Um, it's also the first smartphone that you can really customize. You can go to, to motomaker.com, I think is the website, and you can have it hand-built. It's built by a factory here in Texas. Uh, in a variety of configurations, you can choose bouts. I, I think there's probably 10 or 15 different colors uh, for the back of the phone. Uh, you can c- configure the, the front of the phone how you'd like it. Uh, you can cover the, uh, configure some of the highlights and the lining of it. Um, it's very interesting how you can do that. You can have it, uh, have it so the minute that you get it out of the box, it's ready for you. It's got, it says, hello, Tom, or whatever you want to put in it. Um, so it's, it's customizable. Really nice, and um, the the camera I think is getting pretty decent reviews. But it is, um, I would say that it is a, a, a slightly above average phone for 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 Android, and uh, I, I it's not enough to make me go want to buy the phone. But I am intrigued by the idea of being able to customize it instead of the uh, the, the 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 same old colors that phones are are having these days. I, I, that's I think one of the appealing things about the iPhone 5C that's happening. The other, um, the other interesting, I think, announcement that came out is kind of a follow-up on what we discussed a couple of weeks ago, which is the wearable technology and specifically the smartwatch. Uh, Samsung announced its Galaxy Gear smartwatch, which uh, I, from looking at it, it looks and I think it would feel pretty much like a, a, a nice sports watch. It's uh, not incredibly large, but it's bigger than you're used to in a normal watch. It, it has a camera in it. Um, which is only a two megapixel camera, so it's not very high quality. But uh, but you can take a picture with your phone and then beam it. Excuse me, with your with your watch and then beam it to your phone. Uh, it's got voice control. You can make calls. You can read messages. You can do other things. It has a, a pedometer in it. Uh, developers are going to be creating apps for it. What's interesting is is that um, you can only store ten apps at a time on the phone. You can't. Uh, you can't store more than that, but expect that Twitter and Facebook and, and others, I think Evernote and, and some of the others have already developed apps for the phone. Um, it's designed to work primarily with your, excuse me, with, I keep saying phone and I mean watch. It's designed to work primarily with your phone um, so that whenever a call comes in or an email comes in, it can tell you or read something to you or you can view it there. It's, you know, although I'll say they call it a smartwatch, but uh, it's not exactly a smartwatch. I mean, or a watch itself, because with a watch, you expect uh, a better battery life. The battery life here is about, they say, 25 hours, which isn't bad, but it's certainly shorter than most watches happen to be. Um, there's The display is um, about what you'd expect if you put something like an iPad on your wrist um, when you go out in the, in the light. Uh, you're going to have problems with glare. Uh, that's why the monochrome, like the Pebble, has been uh, more successful because you can see that in any light version, basically. Um, you can't replace the band like you could with a normal watch because that camera is built into it. Um, but uh, I, think it's a, I think it's an interesting development in terms of wearable technology. We keep hearing rumors that Apple's going to roll out a smart watch as well. And uh, so that, that's sort of the new frontier that, that we've already discussed. 
I think this is a good effort. Uh, the reviews that I've read say that the this the Galaxy Gear smartwatch is the one to beat right now. Uh, is a little pricey. It's in the three hundreds range, but uh, but so far is getting. Uh, it's not available yet, but it's been getting reasonably decent feedback. Dennis, what do you think about uh, all these Android announcements? Well, I think the Android. You know, I think we, we've said this before. We sort of when you're in one of the the environments, it's hard to keep up with the with the other. But I think with Android, you're right. It seems like there's new Android phones almost every week, so it's kind of hard to keep track of them. The watch, though, is is interesting to me because you know, reflecting on some of the things you said, if you're if you're experimenting with the smartwatches, um, you are totally an early adopter, and you're going to be paying a lot for you know limited features but you're but you're a pioneer and i think that the people who buy these things are really into it and they're going to kind of pave the way for the rest of us in figuring out how these things work what does and 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 uh, doesn't work so so i salute the the people jumping on on onto those things quickly uh but i i also was on this galaxy gear it's interesting because it's as i understand it's just you have to have a certain Samsung Galaxy phone to be able to use this that it's is tied to. So you definitely have to have that phone and then you have the watch. And that's what got me thinking about the the iPhone 5 5S as as being this platform cuz cuz I you know the watch then sort of extends what's happening with the the smartphone and delivers a sort of limited set of features that helps you out. So you know you can you know, you don't have to reach into your pocket or your purse to pull out the phone to see things. You can look at it on your watch, you know. And so so I think it's interesting in that sense. So I sort of see that wearables, you know, become part of this little mini ecosystem, maybe based around the the smartphone, and then everything kind of reports back or ties to that phone. And I think that will help with some of the, the battery life issues and, and things like that. Because like you said, on the on a watch, the idea of the battery lasts for 25 hours seems okay, but we do we absolutely do not recharge watches every night. And so to say part of what I need to do with a smartwatch is to recharge it every night is going to take a behavioral change. Um, the other thing out there, though, Tom, I think is a little bit on the, the Windows side. And then we were talking earlier, we don't know whether this is kind of funny as, as all these announcements happen, but this... Uh, there's this Nokia uh, Lumia phone. Uh, I call I refer to it as a camera phone because the focus is so much on the camera. A 41 megapixel camera, and people are just really interested in it. in the camera. A lot of commercials on it, and <laughs> we realized we didn't know whether it was like a new product or it had been out. And they just kind of really hitting it hard with the commercials. But a lot of a lot of interest in that, and it's part of that. I think that sort of uh, personalization aspect with the Moto X. And and then also thinking about what it is that you're, you know, to go back to jobs to be done, but what are you hiring the, your your smartphone to do? But I think a lot of people who say, I'm really concerned, you know, what I want is to take pictures and take really good pictures, then that Nokia thing, that that aspect of the feature set becomes, becomes really important. And then also uh, to kind of start to wind things up, Tom, I think I know that in a couple of weeks, Microsoft is announcing some new Surface tablets, and then maybe uh, you want to talk a bit about some of the speculation about you know, iPad and announcements, and there's definitely been a lot of talk also, Tom, about the uh, some Apple TV improvements, either just software or potentially uh, new hardware on that Apple TV, and that's the small Apple TV. I don't think anyone is thinking that 
the Apple's going to come out with the giant, you know, HD Apple TV that, that some people fantasize about. Well, I've heard so many rumors about the iPad that I'm not, I don't really want to cover them here because who knows what's going to happen. I think the one rumor that intrigues me the most is since I've become a, a user more of the iPad mini than anything else, um, I am intrigued by having an iPad mini with retina display and see how different it is from what I've got. Because even though this is the current mini is not retina display, really haven't had the problem with it. But uh, I, I am looking forward to that. I'm always looking forward to new iPads because they're better and faster and smoother and more uh, small, slimmer and more streamlined. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to what they say about those. So I haven't really paid attention to what the, what the real rumors are. And I've, I've, well, there's also been the associated rumors with Apple TV about improving that because since Apple TV came out, it has, I think, been eclipsed by some of the other boxes like the Roku box, which just has so much more flexibility and power than the Apple TV does. Um, in, in a couple of different areas that I think they really need to, to do something to, to reconfigure that and reboot that whole thing because uh, I, I've been using a Roku box now for a couple of months. Really, really like it a lot, but I'm always using an Apple TV when I present with my iPad, so I'm looking forward to what they wind up doing. Uh, uh, I think probably within the next couple of months or so is what we're expecting to hear an announcement from them. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, the rumors lately are sometime in, in October. So I don't know, Tom, I, I don't know what you're thinking. I, like I said, I, for me, it's easy. I, my focus is on getting a new iPhone. So the f- 5S is interesting. It seems like a lot going on out there. A lot of, uh, you know, what, what I hear some of the analysts refer to as maturity in the market. So you're seeing overlap in the features, not, not this real differentiation that you, you used to have. Um, I think the iOS 7 and the people's reaction to that new interface is going to be really important. Um, I don't know, Tom, do you have recommendations for people or just, I, I mean, my, my thought is like, if you're on the upgrade cycle, this is probably as good a time as it's ever been to buy new stuff. Um, but uh, I don't know that if you're out of cycle, whether I see anything out there that says, oh my God, I absolutely have to jump the cycle and pay extra money just to move to the next generation. Well, I agree with you. I think that, um, that if, if, if you're not looking to upgrade and you're just looking for something cool, uh, you know, maybe buying, maybe becoming an early adopter and buying the Samsung uh, Galaxy Gear smartwatch is something you might want to do. But so far, I haven't seen anything that's made me want to rush out and break my contract on my phone to, uh, to, get, a new, uh, to get a new phone. Um, uh, but on the other hand, like you say, and like you have the, this situation is, is that if you've been off contract for a while or you've been, uh, you've been ready to do for an upgrade for a while, then I think that now, more than any time in, in the recent past, there are so many different really good options on both sides. The iPhones are great. There are a lot of great Android phones that are out there. There are a lot of good tablets on both sides. Um, but you, I mean, I guess my only recommendation would be maybe wait a month or so. Uh, some of these aren't available yet, so you don't have a choice, but maybe wait a month or so and see what, uh, what Microsoft does with their Surface announcements, what Apple does with the iPad announcements, and and if, if you're in the, in, the, in the market for a tablet, you might want to take that time to wait. Uh, but uh, these, I think we're, we've, we've still got some more announcements coming, but most of them are out you know, in time for the holiday season. Uh, wait a while to see if, if anything else comes out, because there's really nothing worse than, than making a decision on something and then a week later having something even better come out. Uh, 
I think that once you get into the October and the end of October, beginning of November, the companies are settled down because the holiday season rush is, uh, is already upon them and they, they, they can't run things out anymore. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. I saw this week that LexisNexis was celebrating the 15th anniversary of my favorite legal software program ever, and that's CaseMap, the trial strategy and litigation management program. I have a long history with CaseMap and consider the company's founders, Bob Wiss and Greg Creel, great friends. I've often said that CaseMap was the only thing ever that made me consider, even for one second, being a litigator. And Bob and Greg always used to say I was one of the first lawyers who really understood what they were trying to accomplish uh, with CaseMap. And so uh, I just have a long history with, with the company and with Bob and Greg and what they did, and it's, it was, I, I was surprised to see it's 15 years, although we always used to joke about how they were like a seven or eight year overnight success once they, they kind of got the company going, because it did, they have been working on it for a long time, and their background as jury consultants kind of show, showed through, and what I found was, I just thought it really changed the way that lawyers use technology in, in ways that directly impact their practices for the better in so many ways, and when I first got exposed to, to CaseMap, I was like, oh my God, how can you not use this to try cases? And they, did, they just kept improving me. And I was uh, kind of a running joke. I was always trying to figure out ways that I could use it, even though it didn't apply to, to what I did. And, and it was a, it's, a, it's a legal software uh, you know, su- success story as they, they sold the company to, to LexisNexis. Um, so I don't have the direct relationship that, that I used to have uh, with CaseMap, but it was great to, to see that it has been 15 years and to kind of reflect and recognize on, on the achievement of, of, of CaseMap and, and to let people know it's, it's still out there. So, Tom, you, you were a litigator, and you used CaseMap back in the old litigation days. So... Uh, what are your reflections when you hear it's been 15 years since CaseMap arrived on the scene? You know, when you when you mentioned to me that uh, that CaseMap was celebrating its 50th, 15th birthday, I I was just shocked because I couldn't believe that it had been out for that long. But I was also shocked that it's actually been five years since I've really worked with the tool. Since I've been out of the law practice, I haven't had an opportunity to work with CaseMap. But while I was a lawyer, I really was impressed with it. I used it quite a bit. And, and when I became the, the litigation support coordinator for the firm, in addition to being a lawyer, I also encouraged other lawyers in the firm to use it. And so we, we bought a number of case map licenses and had lawyers in the firm who were using it. And, 
And for those of you who don't know, and people who have, 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 have not used CaseMap or seen it work, you know, essentially, CaseMap is, is its simplest form, just an advanced spreadsheet. You, you can create some very customized spreadsheets and databases with data that you can search and you can slice and dice it so you can filter and find information on a case very easily. Uh, the way that you, you do it is you, you start a case, you enter all the people in your case, you enter all of the issues. Uh, you can load documents in and you can attach them to people or to facts. And then you can list facts out uh, and, and in chronological order, the facts of the case, and you can uh, connect them to people and places and issues and documents. Um, and the way that you set that up, you're basically creating that trial database or that litigation database. You can then do some pretty interesting searches and filters so that you can say, I want to see every time that this witness touched this document uh, or this witness did X, Y, or Z. And you could do it very easily with CaseMap. And it was just such an awesome tool for being able to analyze your case and keep track of all the facts and keep track of, of, of everything that was going on in a particular piece of litigation. Um, you can export that information. I, I used TimeMap at the time. You could export your facts into a, into a time map so you could create a, a timeline for presentation. Um, I understand now that it integrates with SharePoint, so you can collaborate with other people. Uh, you, can, you can annotate documents within CaseMap. You can even bait stamp them and then batch print them out, uh, which I think is just awesome. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's funny. Ever, ever since Lexus bought them, I, I have been very curious about the continued popularity and viability because when I was working at the law firm, I had a lot of trouble convincing lawyers to use it. Uh, and it's not because it wasn't a great tool because it was. It was that they didn't want to enter all the information themselves. Uh, if there was a paralegal to do it, then I had instant buy-in and was able to get that done. But uh, you know, in my smallish firm of 40 to 50 lawyers, I didn't always have a paralegal who was available to do that for a lawyer, so I just couldn't get the kind of buy-in that I really wanted. Once I, once I finally got in there and showed the lawyer how to use it, they were, they were hooked, and, and they, they never stopped using it. But, uh, but when a lawyer first finds out how much work it takes to really be successful in case mapping, it does take a lot of work. Um, it was kind of a turnoff for some people, and so I've been very interested to know how that's changed over the years. And I love the case map. I, I love the folks who worked there beforehand and, 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 and talk with Bob and Greg a lot before uh, Lexus purchased them. But as so many things happen, when a, when a product gets bought by a bigger company, sometimes they get swallowed up and you never hear about them. And I hope that's really not the case because they really have a valuable tool. I see from the website, they're still selling it. Um, but uh, but that's, that's been my one curiosity that I really haven't had the opportunity to catch up on them since I haven't used it in a long time. Yeah, I mean, and, and to, to kind of riff a little bit on a number of things that you said, I, Bob, I remember at the beginning I used to say to lawyers, and, you know, this was 10, 15 years ago, that this was going to be the Excel, uh, you know, Microsoft Excel for litigators. And mm-hmm. <laughs> he would get these blank looks from lawyers. <laughs> and then he, then he had this sort of audacious approach where he would say it was going to replace the legal pad. And, and, and it actually, you could see how that could happen. But that, could again, that, yep. was a hard, that was a hard sell to lawyers. What I really liked about it was uh, another set of features that you didn't mention, Tom, which was this ability that you had to kind of rate things. So you could say, here's a fact, or, and it relates to this issue, and this is strongly in our favor, it's sort of yep. in our favor, it works against us. And then 
As you were doing the sorts of things, as you were preparing a case, preparing arguments, you could say, "Give, I would just need a list of all the facts on this issue that are most favorable to me. And that sort of thing is really powerful because you say there you're moving to something that gives you the stuff that you need to actually do the lawyering that you want to do and put that right in front of you versus kind of flipping through a whole bunch of, of, of legal pads and trying to remember where you wrote those things down. And so that to me was um, just an amazingly powerful uh, aspect of it. And that's, that's one of the things that attracted, to, attracted me to that because I just felt they really understood, and this goes back to their experience as jury consultants, they really understood how uh, cases needed to be presented and the sorts of things that jurors and judges wanted to see and, and allowed, uh, you know, the program allowed, or I assume still does allow lawyers to pull that information together and I think just create much stronger cases uh, and more compelling arguments. So I, I just think the world of Bob and Greg and what they were able to do with case mapping. So uh, it's, you know, Tom, I just want to do a segment on the podcast, just say congratulations to them again and say, yeah, I guess we've all gotten older. It doesn't seem like 15 years, and, uh, but it's, it's, it's nice to, uh, uh, you know, to be reminded uh, of, of what they accomplished. Um, now it's time for our parting shots at one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Uh, the, my uh, parting shot this time is a website that is very simple, but it addresses a very uh, important issue, and that is how do I get rid of accounts on the internet that I no longer want to have? How do I, uh, because, because lots of companies on the internet want to make it very difficult for you to leave them. Uh, they want to make it very hard to, to, to get out. And uh, that's why a website called Just Delete Me is uh, apparently very popular right now. Um, it is the website is justdelete.me. So it's justdelete.me. And right now it's got about it's a directory of about 500 websites. Uh, and uh, there's a link for each website that will take you directly to the page uh, that allows you to delete your account or deactivate your account or remove yourself or however it happens. And what's interesting is, is that it also, uh, it also will, will color code the page in terms of whether it's easy to remove yourself, uh, whether it's a medium difficulty, whether it's uh, very hard to remove yourself, and whether it's impossible to remove yourself. Uh, and, and will give you some information on, uh, on, on why it's impossible or why it's difficult to get yourself removed. But uh, uh, excellent, excellent little site. If you're uh, interested in uh, making sure that you cancel that uh, account and get it canceled finally and fully, but you don't want to take the time to look for the, the link to it, just delete.me. Dennis. And I have a podcast episode. Now, there, since the uh, iPhone announcements, there's been a lot of podcasts, a lot of blog posts, a lot of writing on it. And the best thing that I've heard is this uh, great uh, podcast. It's uh, a five by five special uh, podcast on on the Apple event for the iPhone 5C and 5S. And for once, I actually have something that's URL is is short enough I can actually say it, which is five the number by five the number dot tv slash specials slash twenty two. And what I like about this is uh, host is Dan Benjamin. Christina Warren, Horace Deju, Benedict Evans, Hattie Cook bring a bunch of different perspectives, including some non, a non-U.S. perspective, where they talk about the 
the the iPhones, what it means for Apple, everything that's going on out there. Uh, some of the, so some of the ideas that I had earlier in the podcast definitely come out of out of that podcast. Um, but there's a great discussion um, toward the end of it. It's an hour and a half podcast, that I, and and so I usually don't recommend a podcast that long. But this one to me is totally worth it. Where they start talking about wearables and wearable computing, and Horace Deju is is. Uh, one of the jobs to be done, people who I, I love hearing his analysis of things. And there's a great maybe 10 to 15 minutes where they talk about wearables um, that if you have any interest at all in wearable computing, you definitely want to listen to this because it's really an interesting discussion of wearables, uh, where they're at, where they're likely to go, and what it will take for them to be successful. Um, so uh, just a great podcast to listen to if you're interested, uh, especially in, in the iPhone world. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, are available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet at tkmreport. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by rating or reviewing the podcast on iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.